AFF on Air, the Australian Frequent Flyer podcast is boarding. Step on board for the latest news, tips and tricks for Australian travellers. Your captain, Matt Graham, now invites you to sit back, relax and enjoy the episode. G'day and welcome to episode 72 of AFF On Air. It's the 30th of October 2021 and just two days to go until Australia starts to reopen its international border. Woohoo! From next week, many Australians will finally have an opportunity to come home after being stuck overseas for many months in some cases. Australian citizens and permanent residents will also be allowed to leave the country again without having to apply for a government exemption. Unfortunately, it's not quite smooth sailing for everyone, though. Later in the episode, I'll speak to a podcast listener who had to jump through all sorts of hoops so that their parent could fly into Australia next month. Also in this episode, I'll speak to the CEO of Bonza, the new low-cost startup airline that plans to launch flights in Australia next year. Those interviews are both coming up, but first, let's begin with a roundup of the latest airline and frequent flyer news from the past fortnight. And with Australia on track to remove its international travel ban from Monday, the Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade has now updated its travel advice for the 177 countries that it issues advisories for. And up until last Thursday, the Australian government had been classifying every other country except for New Zealand as level four do not travel, which is the highest alert level due to the risk of COVID-19. But the travel advice for 162 of those 177 countries has now been downgraded. 109 countries are now classified as level two, which is exercise a high degree of caution. And 53 countries have been downgraded from level four to level three, which is reconsider your need to travel. Only 15 countries now remain at level four with advice of do not travel due to other risks other than COVID-19 mostly, such as the risk of terrorism. This is excellent news for Australians travelling overseas because it will make travel insurance much more accessible. And if there's ever time that you need travel insurance, it really is now. Most travel insurers will not provide cover for travel to destinations with an Australian government level four travel warning in place. Some insurers may also limit cover to destinations classified as level three, although cover is generally available. And just about all travel insurance will cover international travel to level two destinations, which is now the majority of the world. If you're planning to travel to Singapore, this will also shortly become much easier because Singapore is set to remove inbound quarantine requirements for vaccinated Australians from the 8th of November. From that date, Australia and also Switzerland at the same time will join Singapore's list of vaccinated travel lane countries. This will mean that vaccinated Australians and children under 12 will be able to travel to Singapore on designated vaccinated travel lane or VTL flights and not have to quarantine for seven days on arrival in Singapore, as is currently the case. Instead, you just need to show proof of a COVID-19 vaccination certificate issued by a participating VTL country, of which Australia will be one from the 8th of November, and then self-isolate when you arrive in Singapore just until you get the result of a COVID-19 test that will be taken as soon as you arrive in Singapore. So that's generally only about half a day that you need to self-isolate while you wait for that result. You'd also need to get a pre-flight COVID-19 test within 48 hours before flying to Singapore, although this is currently true of anyone flying into Singapore from Australia, even if you're just transiting through Singapore. Thailand is also opening up to vaccinated Australians from next month. 
With this news, Qantas has brought forward the restart of its international flights from Sydney and Melbourne to Singapore from November um, instead of December. And Qantas has also brought forward the relaunch of flights from Sydney to Nandi, Bangkok and Johannesburg. Qantas will also launch Airbus A330 flights from Sydney to Delhi in India from the 6th of December. These flights will stop in Darwin on the outbound leg into India, but then return non-stop from Delhi to Sydney, likely due to weight restrictions. At this stage, the Delhi flights are currently scheduled only up until the end of March 2022, but Qantas says it will consider continuing them if they are successful. Qantas has, however, just pushed back the planned relaunch of flights from Brisbane to Los Angeles. With more Qantas and Jetstar planes returning to the skies, this also means that the 22,000 Australian-based Qantas Group employees will now have the opportunity to return to work by early December 2021. You may recall a few episodes ago I said that Qantas didn't have enough planes to service all of the international flights that it's currently selling for 2022, Uh, but there's some good news on that front as well. Qantas is now bringing forward the delivery of three of its new Boeing 787-9 aircraft from the manufacturer, and the Airbus A380s will also be brought back into service a little sooner. Um, Qantas is now planning to run A380s on the Sydney to Los Angeles route from the end of March instead of July 2022, as previously announced. Qantas's first A380 will return from the desert in California on Christmas Day, and over the next three months after that, it'll be used for crew training flights and perhaps some crew familiarisation flights, which could involve the A380s even being used on domestic routes around Australia. Singapore Airlines and Emirates are also bringing their Airbus A380s back to Australia, with both of those airlines flying A380s to Sydney from early December. With those Qantas international flights from Sydney resuming on Monday, initially to London and Los Angeles, Qantas will be also reopening its first-class lounge in Sydney from Monday morning, or Monday afternoon rather. From then, Qantas will also open a pop-up international transit lounge at Darwin Airport to service business class passengers, eligible frequent flyers and Qantas Club members, flying from Sydney to London or Delhi via Darwin, and also from London to Sydney via Darwin. Qantas will be leasing the Catalina Lounge space in Darwin's International Terminal to make this pop-up lounge work. The pop-up lounge will have showers, hot food including Luxa, and a signature lemonade cocktail, and it'll be up and running as long as Qantas is continuing to route its flights to London via Darwin instead of Perth or Singapore. Last week, several Australian states, including New South Wales, Victoria and Queensland, removed quarantine requirements for Australians stuck in the South Island of New Zealand, who have been unable to return home since mid-August. Unfortunately, Australians in New New Zealand's South Island are no closer to getting home, though, because no airlines have added any flights from there to anywhere in Australia. Air New Zealand will resume limited flights from Auckland to Sydney and Melbourne from next week, which will help people trying to return to New South Wales, Victoria or the ACT. But Australians trying to get to other states in Australia, such as Queensland, still have no options to travel there from New Zealand and won't for some time. For the first time since April 2020, Virgin Australia Velocity members will finally be able to redeem their points for international flights, 
including flights on some partner airlines, from Tuesday the 2nd of November. That's Tuesday next week. But the redemption options do remain somewhat limited for the time being. From next Tuesday, Velocity members will be able to redeem their points for Virgin Australia International flights currently scheduled to Nandi, Bali and Queenstown in New Zealand. Redemptions will also be made available for travel on partner airlines Virgin Atlantic, Delta Airlines, Etihad Airways, Hawaiian Airlines, South African Airways and Air Canada, although Air Canada flights between Australia and Vancouver, which is probably what most Velocity members would be interested in redeeming points for, will be unavailable for Velocity redemptions for now. Unfortunately, redemptions are also not yet available on Singapore Airlines flights, although Virgin says that they will be reintroduced at a later date. Virgin Australia has also not yet confirmed whether Hainan Airlines, Tianjin Airlines or Capital Airlines will remain as Velocity Redemption Partners. And the partnership between Virgin Australia and All Nippon Airways, which was supposed to start in March 2020, remains up in the air. When Velocity Redemptions resume, there will no longer be any carrier or fuel surcharges when redeeming Velocity points for Delta Airlines flights. That's good news. But there have been some changes to the Etihad Airways carrier charges, which have now gone up on flights between Australia and Abu Dhabi. As previously reported, Alitalia is no longer a Velocity Partner airline due to that airline no longer existing, but its successor, ITA Airways, or ITA Airways, has just announced overnight that it will join the SkyTeam Alliance. ITA Airways is currently offering a status match as well to elite frequent flyers with around 10 different airlines, including British Airways, United Airlines, and American Airlines. Speaking of American Airlines, that airline has just announced an overhaul of its own frequent flyer program in terms of how status is earned. From 2022, American Airlines Advantage members will no longer need to earn elite qualifying dollars plus elite qualifying miles or segments in order to achieve elite status. Instead, American Airlines status will be earned with loyalty points, which can be earned by flying with American Airlines, One World Airlines or JetBlue spending on Advantage credit cards, or earning miles through third-party Advantage program partners. Thankfully, there are no changes, though, at this stage to the Advantage award charts or the way Advantage miles are earned. American Airlines is also moving its status year from just uh, January to December, so the calendar year, uh, now to uh, March through February and it will be extending the status of all current Advantage members by two months until the end of March 2022 instead of the end of January. Singapore Airlines is offering up to a 15% bonus when converting points from a bank rewards program to Chris Flyer Miles up until the 22nd of November this year. The amount of bonus Chris Flyer Miles awarded will depend on the number of points that you transfer. If you transfer the equivalent of 10,000 to 49,999 Chris Flyer Miles in a single transaction, you'll earn 12% bonus Chris Flyer Miles. And credit card transfers of 50,000 Chris Flyer Miles or more will earn 15% bonus miles. If you have Australian credit card reward points with American Express membership rewards, Diners Club rewards, ANZ rewards, Westpac Altitude, NAB rewards, St George Amplify City rewards, or HSBC rewards plus, you are eligible to transfer your mile, your, your bank reward points to Chris Fly Miles and earn that bonus. And in case you need another incentive to transfer your credit card points to Chris Flyer, you can also earn Chris Flyer Elite Miles, which count towards Singapore Airlines status, on bank transfers made until February next year. And uh, 
transfers uh, that take place during this promotion and the bonus miles that you will earn from this promotion do all count towards that elite miles accumulation and towards Singapore Airlines status. And finally, Qantas Frequent Flyer members can earn up to 50 bonus status credits by redeeming points at the Qantas Rewards Store until the 4th of November. This is the first time Qantas has given bonus status credits for spending points on gift cards, merchandise, or other products from its online redemption portal. During this promo, you'd earn 10 status credits for every 20,000 Qantas points redeemed at the Qantas Rewards Store, up to a maximum of 50 status credits for spending 100,000 Qantas points. That's what's making news on australianfrequentflyer.com.au this fortnight. You can stay up to date between podcasts by subscribing to the Australian Frequent Flyer Gazette to get the latest Frequent Flyer news straight to your inbox for free every Monday and Thursday morning. Turn your bills into business class with the SNP app. Whether it's an ATO bill, rates, utilities, phones, school fees, body corporate or any of the other 60,000 plus bills with a BPAY biller code on it, you can pay it with SNP and earn full frequent flyer points for your credit card spend. You can use your Visa, MasterCard or American Express to pay bills with the SNP app and pay just a 1.5% processing fee including GST. There are no other hidden fees. The 1.5% processing fee even applies for American Express payments. Now that's just 0.05% more than the ATO's card payment surcharge for Amex. And with SNP, you'll earn points on your Amex card at the full everyday spend rate and not the reduced rate that you'd normally get at the tax office. SNP also has some convenient features. You can connect your emails to the SNP app and have your billers automatically added to the app when they arrive in your inbox. You'll then get a handy push notification when your bill's ready for payment. You can pay the bill on the spot, schedule it for later, set up an instalment plan or create a recurring payment. And you can even use Apple Pay or Google Pay. So it's no surprise why SNP has processed more than $150 million worth of bill payments and counting. It really is the easiest and most rewarding way to pay your bills. With tax time in front of us now, there's never been a better time to try SNP. Simply download the free SNP app on your mobile device and enter the code AFF10 on sign up for $10 off your first bill payment. That's SNP with two I's, S-N-I-I-P. Well, a few weeks ago, we learned that a new low-cost airline called Bonza is planning to launch in Australia in 2022. Operating a small fleet of Boeing 737 MAX 8s with 186 economy seats each, Bonza won't be competing head-on with Qantas and Virgin for business travellers. Instead, it plans to stimulate demand for leisure travel on new routes that aren't already being serviced to their full potential. So, what can we expect from Bonza? Well... Who better to tell us than the airline's CEO, Tim Jordan, who joins me now on the AFF On Air podcast. Welcome, Tim. Thank you, Matt. So, Tim, first of all, what's involved in actually starting an airline in Australia? What do you need to do over the next few months before you can start operating? Clearly, the um, the first step, significant step, is to attain our um, air operating certificate, um, so our AOC. Um, that process is currently underway. Um, we believe that if we do everything that is expected of us by the regulator, that we should receive that um, in the second quarter of 2022, uh, allowing us to um, take to Australian skies. From a non 
um, operational perspective. Um, clearly, we're also um, starting engage. We started engagement with airports across the country in terms of trying to understand their wish to be an airport partner um, with Bonza. And um, that process is ongoing at this moment. And over the coming months, we should um, be finalising our initial schedule and um, where exactly we will be offering Bonza service. Yeah, and so you've said that obviously that Bonza won't be competing head-on with Qantas and Virgin on those Golden Triangle routes, but instead you'll be looking at sort of more niche or leisure routes. Um, are you able to give an indication of what kinds of destinations or routes you would see Bonza flying? Um, as, you, as you might expect, I wouldn't want to give specifics, sure. um, but we do we do expect um, more than half of our routes to be not currently operated by any existing carrier. Um, where we do um, offer service on markets that currently has a business-focused operator on them, um, we will be looking to stimulate a brand new leisure market. Um, as you can imagine, if if there is an existing business-focused operator on a market, the entry point for flying maybe will be beyond the reach of many um, many people who um, live in a particular location. Um, so we will be looking to stimulate and grow a brand new market. Um, so two elements to our, uh, our strategy in terms of um, network, um, offering a leisure alternative on existing markets, but the biggest part for sh- um, by, by far will be um, offering a brand new um, point-to-point option on a low-frequency basis uh, on routes which are currently not operated today by any um, operator. And so what can passengers expect when they fly with Ponza? You know, will there be um, in-flight food and drinks for sale? Will there be Wi-Fi on the planes, entertainment, things like that? Um, You know, what what kind of seats will there be? Like, what what, what will the experience be like on Ponza? I I guess a major difference um, for us, we will be coming into the market with brand new aircraft. Now, that is quite unique. Um, I've been involved with a number of um, number of startup and low cost carriers, and it's quite normal to um, to lease aircraft from multiple sources, and those aircraft um, will generally be you know used, um, maybe five to ten years old, um, and they will be. Um, spec'd very differently in terms of seats potentially or galleys um, and onboard um, products. Um, we're in a very almost unique position that we will be entering the market um, with brand new aircraft. Um, those aircraft are all configured in the same way. Um, and so from a customer perspective, um, customers will first and foremost, get on this, a brand new aircraft, aircraft which are very common to each other in terms of onboard features, um, the seating. Um, in, in terms of the in-flight product, yes, we will be um, selling um, a, a range of food and drinks, um, quality food and drinks available at a reasonable price. Um, I am a firm believer in offering a high-quality, low-cost product, um, and what that means is that we need to look ourselves in the mirror and if, if, it, 
if the price point that we're offering ancillary revenues, i.e. food and drink on board or baggage for sale, um, those price points need to be fair and reasonable. If we cannot justify to ourselves why we're charging a particular um, price for a bag or a drink on board, then we need to question why we are doing it. Um, I, I'm not a fan of um, certain low-cost carriers that um, have potentially um, gone to the market with a, with a, a very much an overpriced um, ancillary product and, or product offering. And, you know, I, this is about repeat business. We want customers to have a, um, a great experience um, on Bonza um, and for them to tell their friends and family about that. And so they, they actually come back to us. So our product is high quality, um, high quality, low cost. Part of that is on-time performance. We will focus on on-time performance. Um, I've been lucky enough to be involved with airlines that deliver great on-time performance, and we will absolutely focus on that um, here in Australia. That's part of being a uh, that's part of being a high-quality, low-cost carrier. Yeah, I'm glad to hear that your ancillaries are, you know, going to be reasonable. So I guess you won't be following Ryanair's lead in charging extra to check in at the airport or, you know, like some airlines who charge an extra $50 because your bag is one kilogram overweight or something like this. We, as I say, the biggest test is we will have to, we have to look at ourselves in the mirror and say, if I'm hearing this, if I was, if I am the customer, does, does this make sense? Um, is it logical? Um, would I want to be the customer hearing this explanation? And if if we if we can't look at ourselves in the mirror and say um, that's okay, then um, we either shouldn't be charging for it, um, or that charge needs to be needs to be different. Um, as I say, it, it's about being fair and reasonable. Um, we are going to be operating into markets whereby low cost is still new. For many of the centres that we we may well be operating in, so there is an element of educating the market, and um, we we want to do that in a way which is um, very much we we put our hands around around the market, and hopefully they will uh, embrace us too. Yeah, and you mentioned the new aircraft that you'll be flying. Um, those are going to be Boeing 737 MAX 8s. Now, I'm sure you've been asked this before, but obviously the 737 MAX has taken a bit of a reputational hit after the two accidents a few years ago. Now, the plane has now been fixed and recertified by most safety regulators around the world, including here in Australia. But are you concerned that some people might not want to fly on a 737 MAX because of that reputational damage? Um, no, um, as you say, um, you know, the, the tragic two accidents, um, Boeing, Boeing and all of the, um, major safety regulators have worked through those, those initial, um, issues, um, that caused, um, those, those tragic events. Um, the regulators around the world would absolutely not um, be be allowing the aircraft to be flying as they are in their hundreds at this very minute. Um, if there were any concerns, um, there are no concerns, and so we have absolute full confidence um, in in the aircraft. Hmm. 
And obviously those aircraft, they, they have 186 seats. So that, that's what you'll be configuring them with, 186 economy seats. That's quite a large number of seats for sort of more regional or le- leisure destinations. Do you think you'll be able to create enough demand to fill those planes? Um, we we but certainly believe so. Um, it's a fantastic challenge for us to have. Um, but it is what it does require. It um, it requires us to have very low fares. Um, you know, we cannot be an airline that um, says we're going to have low fares and then doesn't deliver upon it because markets will not grow. Markets will not stimulate. Um, so um, we really do need to offer significantly lower fares in order to grow the leisure market in order for us to um, to, to fill the uh, 186 brand new aircraft um, seats that we're going to have um, flying with Bonza. So, um, it, you know, I, I some of my previous experience, um, I, I've seen stunt fares, you know, we've in, in the Philippines, you know, we used to run, uh, I think, two cent fares and um, attention grabbing um, stunt fares and um, it, they, they work they absolutely work but they are just attention grabbing and what we need to do on a uh, ongoing basis is to lower the average price of flying um, because that is the only way that we sustainably um, create a larger market it's not about offering stunt fares every every now and then, which of course I'm sure we will do, um, you know, to fill particularly um, weak periods or weak flights. But um, this is about growing the overall market um, for leisure travel across Australia, which we believe has been um, a little bit, um, yeah, there's an opportunity there to grow the market quite significantly um, when it comes to leisure travel, especially when you look at Australia versus the rest of the world. So um, this is about lowering the average cost of leisure travel quite significantly in many new locations. Mm. And you mentioned um, the, the Philippines there. You've previously worked for Virgin Blue as the head of commercial distribution, then as the chief commercial officer at Cebu Pacific, an ultra-low-cost airline in the, in the Philippines, and then most recently as the managing director of Fly Aristan, a very successful low-cost airline that recently launched in Kazakhstan. How has your experience with these airlines shaped your plans for Bonza? I think you learn, you, whatever you're doing in life, you learn from all experiences um it's it's one of the benefits of getting older i guess um you you know you and you will learn from positive experiences um and you'll probably learn more from negative experiences um i'm very fortunate to have been involved in those three airlines that you mentioned uh, very positively and um but you know there were you know the bumps in every single one of them in terms of execution so um Whatever role you're in, um, you you will learn you will learn from those experiences. Um, specifics, um, I, I guess. The 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 current situation in Kazakhstan, which I think is the fastest growing aviation market, domestic aviation market in the world, um, where they've actually seen thirty seven percent growth in the market in the first six months of this year 2021 over 2019 which is just staggering that's remarkable um and in in that particular situation it was about having belief that um the markets do stimulate 
and you know when you when you see these opportunities for for market growth um having having the belief that um yes you know the what the numbers are telling you from a from a macro perspective and a micro perspective top down or bottom up um having belief in those uh, in that logic to um to execute it in the market and as i say i've, I've been fortunate enough to be involved in three of these very successful low cost carriers and um i guess that underpins all three of them in the fact that it's about market growth it's about market stimulation and um that's exactly what we're seeing and will see and execute with bonza here in australia i mean obviously at the moment well rex rex this year has launched 737 flights on capital city trunk routes to well questionable success a lot of those flights have been empty and they've had to resort to selling 39 dollar full service fares to compete with qantas jetstar and virgin so it's already a little bit of a crowded market as i'm sure many people have pointed out to you already um and of course the the domestic market is also recovering from COVID and all the domestic border restrictions do you think that 2022 is a good time to launch um, an airline in australia I think it is a fantastic time um, to be launching um, in Australia, and uh, I, I, I had better explain that. Um, we we are coming to the market with brand new aircraft. Um, that wouldn't have been the case. Um, the the our initial business plan was actually identifying used aircraft, um, but because of all, all things COVID. Um, we have been able to, through with our investment partner, 777, um, invest, um, mm-hmm. the private investment firm, 777 Partners, we have been able to secure brand new aircraft. That wouldn't have been the case um, if, if it hadn't have been for this revolting um, COVID. Um, that, what that allows us to do is actually deliver lower costs, lower costs in terms of maintenance costs because these are brand new aircraft, but additionally and very importantly, very green aircraft that burn far less fuel um, than would otherwise be the case with five to ten year old aircraft. Um, in addition, um, what what we have is significant pent up demand. Um, the international market will take a little longer to return to previous levels. Um, and probably the most important factor is we have thousands of very skilled aviation professionals who are available and wanting to get back into this wonderful industry. And that wouldn't have been available um, if we hadn't have gone through the to- turmoil of the last two years. So all of those elements um, really, you know, really make us believe, um, let us know that 2022 is absolutely the right time for Bonza to be taking to Australian skies. Excellent. Well, just finally, Tim, why the name Bonza? A lot of people have been asking why you've chosen that name. Yes, yeah. Bonza, our our favourite definition of Bonza is um, great and well-executed. And we looked at that and went, that's what we need to be. Um, we need to be great. Um, we need to be well executed. Um, not only that, we, we said we want to show the market, tell the market we're different. And with a name like Bonza, um, we're doing that um, very, very clearly. The other thing is um, we wanted to say we're proudly Australian. And um, again, 
with a word, you know, with a brand that is that is Bonza. Again, we are very clearly um, very Australian um, and um, very proudly so. So those are the factors which um, led us down the path of um, saying, you know, Bonza works for us. Um, we need to be good, well, well, well executed, um, and um, very Australian, but different, um, and not obviously a Me Too airline. Um, we are going to be doing something very different in the marketplace, but something which has worked very effectively around the rest of the world. Excellent. Well, it certainly sounds like you and your team have the experience to come up with a great and well-executed airline here in Australia. I wish you every success with Bonza. And thanks for coming on the AFF on Air podcast, Tim. Thank you very much. Thank you, Matt. Well, from the 1st of November next Monday, Australian citizens and permanent residents will be allowed to leave the country without needing an exemption. Citizens, permanent residents and their immediate family members and those with uh, eligible visas will also be allowed to return to Australia and not have to quarantine if they're going into New South Wales, Victoria or the ACT with other states and territories to follow. Now, the definition of immediate family members will be extended to include parents of Australian citizens and permanent residents, but there's a catch. It's not quite that's quite as simple as just um, getting parents on a plane into Australia. One podcast listener who's been having a little bit of trouble with that is Orlando, who joins me now. Welcome. Good morning, Matthew. So, yeah, tell me about your situation. Your mum, I believe, was um, planning to visit you from the UK about 18 months ago. Obviously, that had to be put off due to COVID, but you booked her a seat to come into Australia next month. Is she actually able to come? Well, um, it's not as straightforward as you would like to think, or the government has sort of made it appear in, in their sort of public publicity. But, yeah, I did... Um, I originally, because she's quite old now, she's 76, and she's not very, you know, um, worldly. So I was going to actually meet her in Singapore uh, and then spend a bit of time in Singapore and, and, and bring her back to Australia for a bit of a holiday because my dad died recently. Um, but obviously because of COVID, that couldn't occur. So she was pretty disappointed about that. But, um, yeah, as soon as the government made all the publicity about the, uh, you know, parents of Australian citizens being able to travel, um I jumped on the frequent flyer website and managed to book her a couple of a seat for her to um, to come, so which was fantastic. And then I then realised actually it's not that straightforward because you've also got to get an exemption for your parent to travel uh, to Australia, and on top of that, you also got an electronic visa to obtain because she's um, she's not an Australian citizen. Um, and that normally is quite a straightforward process, but um, the exemption alone um, required me to prove I was actually related to my mother. So I had to upload um, quite a lot of documents, and also the visa process isn't instantaneous, or it's, it's not an overnight process, or long delays processing the electronic visas. So what did it involve? Like, so you had to prove that you were related to your mother. Um, like, what kind of documents did you need to send? Well, it's quite bizarre, really, because you've got actually, um, I had to upload my mother's marriage certificate, so um, she had to provide that to me. Uh, I had to upload my birth certificate, which proves that she's my mother. Um, but I was actually born in uh, an English-speaking country, so I had to also get the birth certificate translated from Italian into English. So you have to upload that as well. So, yeah, you have to actually prove if you're related and obviously prove you're an Australian citizen. So 
they wanted my passport details. So you have to do that. And also at that time, you've also got to pro- uh, provide information about when they were vaccinated um, and also whether you've uh, got a visa or you've applied for a visa. So you've got to provide quite a lot of information. Uh, also the type of vaccine. So um, they want all that information when you apply for the exemption online. Right, and so that's the exemption, but then you've also got to apply for the visa. And uh, I believe you're a bit concerned about the amount of time that it's taking the government to process those visas. I was really shocked, actually, because my mum's been out here probably about six times, and it's only quite straightforward. You book a seat, and then you book the ETA, the electronic visa. Um, and normally, at least within a few minutes or overnight, the visa's granted. So when I – and I've done that a few times, So uh, and she's not that IT savvy, so I did that for her. And then – when I applied for the um, electronic visa, the, the 651 electronic visa, um, I noticed it said that they were taking between three weeks and four months to be processed. So I was pretty shocked to thought oh, that must be a mistake, um, especially now the government's you know, announced um, that uh, the parents of Australian citizens can travel. Um, but, yeah, it's definitely they, – they, so you can make the booking, you can get the exemption – and when the Immigration Department or Border Force actually uh, approve the exemption, they don't actually go ahead and make sure there's a visa or grant the visa. That's a separate case. So uh, if you're trying to get your parent here for Christmas, you might be in for a bit of a, a long wait, especially um, uh, if it's not an electronic visa either. Um, they're, they're taking a long time to process. And I'm not quite sure why because we're not snowed under with overseas visitors or students applying for visas and, and that sort of thing. So. No, no, and this is just like, this is the 651. This is just the e-visitor visa, which is basically what most tourists have to get when they come to Australia. It's a really standard visa. It's not not anything particularly complicated. But yeah, I just had a look um, just today on, on their website and the government's saying that they're going to process, they're currently processing 75% of these within 31 days and 90% within four months. Um, but you'd booked your... your mother to come in the middle of november uh have you actually been able to get the visa well it's um ironic because i did ring the immigration department and you know explain what the situation was and they were really unhelpful and surly and and not able to assist at all but the good news is that when i i actually contacted matt to talk about this and as we were talking the visa grant came through so i'm not sure whether my phone was being bugged but I'm really chuffed that my mum can actually come out now for Christmas. But I was really stressed because, um, you know, I booked the the seat, I booked the the, the a good seat using points, and um, although the booking is refundable, the booking the seat um, request isn't uh, refundable with points. So um, I'm really chuffed. I haven't actually told told her yet, so uh, she'll be pleased that the visa is granted. But um, it's pretty stressful, um, and I think people need to really consider all the hoops you've got to go through um, before your parent may be able to visit you, especially if you're planning a, a visit for Christmas. Yeah, definitely. Well, that's great news that the visa has come through now and you'll get to see your mum in a couple of weeks. I'm sure that you'll both be really, really pleased about that. Um, but yeah, as you say, it's uh, it's not just it's not a straightforward thing of simply turning up at the airport and getting on a plane anymore, especially if you're not um, an Australian uh, citizen or permanent resident. So thanks for coming on the podcast and sharing that story with me. You're very welcome, Matt. Thanks for doing a great job. Thank you. 
For some people, there's also the issue of not having access to any vaccines which are recognised or approved by the TGA. For example, there are people who are stuck in some countries around the world where there are vaccines available, but they're not any of the vaccines that are approved or recognised by the TGA here in Australia. And so for those people, they would technically be allowed to come into Australia if they're um, Australian citizens, permanent residents or immediate family members, but they'd still have to quarantine for 14 days in a hotel if they don't have an approved vaccination. And uh, there's only going to be a limited number of hotel quarantine spots available for people in those scenarios as well. Um, in New South Wales from next month, there's only going to be 200 and something hotel quarantine spots available for people not considered to be vaccinated. And so that's that's quite a concern. A lot of airlines also are not going to carry people who are not um, vaccinated according to the Australian government's requirements. And there doesn't seem to be any um, understanding among airlines of how they would actually carry people into Australia uh, who would need to go into quarantine. That's that's still quite unclear. There's also the issue of some countries not um, giving a second dose of vaccine to children under the age of 18 at this point in time. For example, in the UK, children are currently only being offered one dose of a vaccine that would either be approved or otherwise be approved or recognised by the TGA in Australia. And in Australia, to be considered fully vaccinated, you need to have two doses. Now, in recognition of this, the chief medical officer in Australia did say earlier this week that they're going to to consider um, exemptions for children um, who are Australian citizens aged 12 to 17 years old who've received one dose or or, or are not um, considered to be fully vaccinated by the Australian government's definition, which would allow them to return to Australia with their parents and quarantine at home for uh, for seven days with some additional testing requirements. However, that uh, only seems to apply to Australian citizens. For some reason, Australian permanent residents aged 12 to 17 uh, don't qualify for that particular exemption. So uh, how that works, I'm not exactly sure. But for those who are able to come to Australia from next week, um, other than the visa and vaccination requirements, and you would need to get a either an Australian international COVID-19 vaccination certificate, or if you're vaccinated overseas, Australia will accept a foreign vaccination certificate with certain requirements, like it needs to have certain information on the certificate um, and it needs to be in English or legally translated into English. Other than that, you would need to get a Australia travel declaration more than 72 hours before the departure of your flight into Australia. And within 72 hours of the flight departing for Australia, you'd need to get a pre-departure COVID-19 test. And obviously, when checking in at the airport, you'd need to show a negative test result and your vaccination certificate. But as if you can meet all of those uh, requirements and jump through a few hurdles you will be able to come back to Australia into certain states at least without quarantining from next week. And that's at least that's a step in the right direction. Really good news. If you'd like more information about what will be involved in international travel from next month, you might be interested in a Frequent Flyer Solutions webinar that I'll be hosting on Thursday the 11th of November, which is just under two weeks from now. In this webinar, I'll be talking in detail about the new international travel requirements for Australians, where we'll be allowed to travel and how to check international entry and transit requirements for other countries, as well as things like the new vaccinated travel lane arrangement with Singapore, COVID-19 travel insurance for international travel and more. Now, this is a free webinar which will be exclusively for premium economy, business class and first class members of Frequent Flyer Solutions. 
If you're not already a Frequent Flyer Solutions member, you can head over to frequentflyer.com.au to learn more about the benefits of becoming a member. In addition to this bonus webinar, Premium Economy members of Frequent Flyer Solutions receive access to all of the other Frequent Flyer Solutions webinars. We have at least eight per year in addition to this bonus webinar on a wide range of topics all about maximizing your travel and your Frequent Flyer points. Premium economy membership costs just $125 a year, which works out to be less than $16 per webinar, and that's less than half price compared to buying the webinars individually. Frequent Flyer Solutions also offers business class membership for $195 a year. In addition to the webinars, business class members have access to the comprehensive Frequent Flyer training program, which really is the ultimate resource if you want to learn how to use Frequent Flyer points to their full potential to travel better for less, as well as useful guides for beginners. The training program is full of advanced tips and tricks, as well as video demonstrations of how to use lots of different uh, websites and useful online tools for Frequent Flyers. So if you just start out or you want to learn how to maximize your points, um, there's lots of really useful information in there and it's written in a way that's easy to understand and easy to follow. To learn more, you can visit frequentflyer.com.au. Which is finally for today's episode. There's been a question on the AFF on-air discussion thread from Chuli Kaur. I hope I've pronounced that correctly. And it says, Hi, Matt. We're flying Singapore Airlines business class from Sydney to Singapore on November the 4th. Is the lounge open for an early 9am flight in Terminal 1? Uh, now, thanks for the question. I got in touch with my contact at Singapore Airlines to ask about this for you because I couldn't find any information about this, and they said that they they haven't um, um, they have they're still working through the lounge arrangements for Sydney and Melbourne uh, in Australia. Uh, so, unfortunately, I don't have uh, a, a, an answer for you at this time. Um, at the at the moment, I can tell you that Singapore Airlines um, lounges are currently only open in Singapore and London Heathrow, so they're not yet open in Sydney and Melbourne. But I believe that the Sydney and Melbourne Chris, uh, Silver Chris lounges will be the first to reopen um, very soon. I'm not sure whether they'll be open next week for your flight, but they will be opening at some point, I imagine, in the next few weeks or months. So sorry, I couldn't answer the question, but that's that's the information I have at this time. Well, that's just about all for this episode of AFF On Air. Thanks again to today's guests and thank you so much for listening. For more information about anything discussed in today's episode, check out the episode notes. Here you'll also find a link to the AFF on Air discussion thread on the Australian Frequent Flyer Forum, where you're welcome to discuss the podcast or ask me a question to be answered in a future episode. If you've enjoyed this podcast, I'd really appreciate if you'd take just a minute to review AFF on Air on Apple Podcasts. And if you haven't already, don't forget to subscribe on your favourite podcasting platform to receive every episode as soon as it's released. I'm Matt Graham and I'll be back next fortnight with more news, tips and tricks for Australian travellers. And until then, safe travels.